0: Hello, and welcome to The Henna Hundle Show. I'm your host, Henna Hundle. Here on The Henna Hundle Show, we feature the world's foremost experts for groundbreaking discussion within their respective fields, spanning medicine, science, technology, business, politics, policy, law, and more. Join me, your host, Henna Hundle, on a mission to unpack and understand how contemporary high-impact issues are being tackled by the world's most influential leaders. For today's episode, I'm honored to share the air with our esteemed guest, Mr. Mike Dukakis. Mr. Dukakis was the 65th and 67th governor of Massachusetts, serving from 1975 to 1979 and again from 1983 to 1991. In addition to his role as governor, Mr. Dukakis was also the presidential candidate on the Democratic ticket in the 1988 U.S. presidential election, in which he ultimately lost to President George H.W. Bush. I'm incredibly honored to welcome Mr. Dukakis to the program today to gather his thoughts on the 2019 State of the Union Address delivered by President Trump. In addition, Mr. Dukakis will offer his perspectives on the steps that the Democratic Party should be taking in preparation for the 2020 presidential election. Please join me now in welcoming Mr. Dukakis to the program. So, Mr. Dukakis, I want to begin by talking about President Trump's 2019 State of the Union Address. What were your thoughts overall on the address, and were there any parts of it that elicited particularly strong reactions for you?
1: Well, Trump is such a strange guy. It's hard to determine what he's really trying to say. And I don't mean just in the speech itself. I just read the New York Times about a lunch he had at around noontime before the State of the Union and apparently invited in some reporters and proceeded to go after every single likely Democratic opponent with few exceptions, called Joe Biden dumb. Uh, Not only is Joe Biden a very intelligent guy, (laughs) but but he knows a great deal more about things than Donald Trump. So you you call Trump dumb. Um, goes after Elizabeth Warren again, calls her Pocahontas. I think she ought to start calling him Pinocchio. With a nose that gets longer and longer every time he takes he he make, he tells another lie. Um and so on. Uh, and then he delivers this this canned speech, which is supposed to be conciliatory, but of course toward the end he can't resist and goes after all kinds of things. I mean, after abortion, uh, back on immigration, so on and so forth. And it seems to me that net result is zero. I mean, it's still Trump. He's doing, still doing the same old stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think he's ever going to change. So mm-hmm. I didn't think it was a particularly uh, significant address, to tell you the truth. And um, in the meantime, you have this preliminary, which is which is just so bad, so vindictive, um, so petty that you wonder what goes through this guy's head from day to day and what he thought he was doing in the evening after that uh, early (laughs) introduction at the White House apparently
0: Mm -hmm. to at
1: least uh, some journalists and other folks who then reported it. I mean, it just makes no sense to me, but... You know, he's a strange guy, and um, I think it's one of the reasons why uh, a lot of people don't like him. And what it does do, in my opinion, is offer the Democrats a huge opportunity, not only to remove him from office, and I'm not an impeachment guy, just go out there and beat him, but add another twenty, twenty-five seats in Congress and really make this a transformative election. That's not going to be easy, but I think uh, it's a huge opportunity, and frankly, my party, had better not Muffet.
0: Looking ahead to 2020, there's already been a lot of buzz in the Democratic Party as more hopeful contenders are joining the field, making it appear that the Democratic primary will be a crowded one. What do you make of that, Mr. Dukakis? Is it a good thing to have a crowded field or are you worried that's a symptom of a fractured party?
1: I think it's I think it's a good thing, provided we can behave ourselves Mm -hmm. and stay positive and try to do what I and the folks that I was running with and competing with in 1988 did, which was to keep it largely a positive primary and um, emphasize where we thought we were strong and come out of it, as I did, in very good shape. Now, I screwed up the final, and that was my fault, nobody else's. But um, but I think that's important. I think the field will winnow itself down somewhat. You know, running for the presidency is the toughest thing you've have to do in American politics, and as uh, folks look at this and think about what it's going to take, mm-hmm. I think we'll have a field maybe, maybe wrong here, but maybe nine or ten. We had seven in nineteen eighty-eight, um, and then you go out and put your best foot forward and campaign hard. In the meantime, and I think this is very important, Hannah, the party itself, both the national committee and the state parties and I'm going to try to be as personally as as involved as I possibly can in this, have got to go out now and organize this country on a 50-state, 200,000-precinct basis. And I'm serious. No more reds and blues and purples and and that kind Mm -hmm. of nonsense. No more conceding half the country to the other side, which is absolutely crazy. When you look at the congressional results in the midterm, look at the number of, Democrats elected to Congress from so-called red states, um, so this has got to be a 50-state campaign, just the way it was when Howard Dean was the party chairman back in the uh, mid-90s and did such a terrific job, swept the Congress, um, 200,000 precinct captains organizing 200,000 precincts, that's what we have in the United States, and that should not be that difficult. So that when we do decide on the nominee, that person uh, is presented really with a thoroughly organized 50 state Democratic Party. And then we go mm-hmm. to work and not only beat Trump, but at the same time, add significantly more folks, mm-hmm. Democrats to the Congress. And uh, as I say, that process has got to begin now.
0: The victory of President Trump in the 2016 presidential election came as a surprise to many people in this country, including many analysts and posters and political consultants. What lessons do you believe the Democratic Party, and in particular, the new Democratic Party nominee, whoever that will end up being, what lessons should they take away from the loss in 2016? And what type of messaging do you think is needed to avoid a similar fate in 2020?
1: I've mentioned a few of them already. Get out of this red, blue, purple stuff. It's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reason. Look, I carried, in 1988, I carried West Virginia by 12 points and Iowa by 10. When did they become red? They're still fundamentally the same states. Good people, largely middle class working folks in a place like Appalachia, West Virginia, Kentucky, obviously struggling with very little response, by the way, seems to me, for the Democratic Party generally. Um You know, Jack Kennedy was the guy that put Appalachia on the map and said, we're going to go into Appalachia, and we're going to transform that place. Um, Where was that in 2016? I didn't hear it, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's what I'm talking about when I talk about a 50-state campaign, and I'm very serious about this. There is no reason under the sun. Look at the uh, states where Democrats were elected in the midterm. A uh, Democratic woman is now the governor of Kansas. Not the first right. time, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Democrats elected in Oklahoma, in South Carolina, in Texas, um, i mean, all over the place with these so-called red states. It's, it's a myth, but we bought into it. And essentially, we're doing very little in those so-called red states. So I think that's the first order of business. That's why it's so important that we go to work on, on things. I think the issues are quite clear. Um, They're principally economic, and uh, this is a country with uh, huge disparities in wealth, a tax cut largely for the wealthiest 2% of the population, which was absolutely outrageous, not just in terms of equity, but we're looking at a trillion-dollar annual budget deficit. Um, I don't know what happened to the Republican Party. That was about, they used to be the party of fiscal responsibility. Um, I'm a liberal, but I can count. And I know right now that we're spending $600 billion a year just to service the national debt. And it's going to be more than that mm-hmm. as this tax cut piles up a bigger national debt. Um, and those are the kinds of things that I think we've got to address, even as we are talking seriously and importantly about making sure that working Americans and their families have decent, affordable health care, that those regions of the country that are not sharing in our prosperity do so mm-hmm. and we know how to do that, uh, rebuilding our infrastructure, which is a mess, um, and those are good issues and good democratic issues, but this organizational base that I'm talking about is critical, and uh, the sooner we get started on it, the better.
0: And along with the late Senator Paul Simon, you authored the book, How to Get into Politics and Why, Encouraging Young People to Take on Careers in Public Service. The book was published in the year 2000. And I'm curious, for young people interested in becoming involved in politics today, is there any additional advice or words of caution or observations that you might add on given the contemporary political landscape?
1: Well, first, let me say this to you. I've been teaching now for 28 years at mm-hmm. Northeastern and, and 24 during the winter quarter at UCLA. I have never seen my students more motivated to get deeply and actively involved politics mm-hmm. than they are right now. And Donald Trump is the guy that has produced that. Not purposely, needless to say. I mean, I don't like him. But uh, if you look at the vote totals among young people in the midterms, They're absolutely stunning. Um, A huge increase in turnout on the part of a group of voters who unfortunately don't usually vote a lot for a lot of reasons. And secondly, a swing from an eight, I think it was a 6% Democratic majority in 2014, the last midterm, to a 20% majority in this past midterm election, which is a huge swing. Uh, And I see it in the classroom all the time. I mean, both at Northeastern and Mm -hmm. and here at UCLA, where I am during the winter quarter. Just enormous interest, young people pouring into my office, um, want to talk about politics, want to find out how do I get, you know, how do they get into it, how do they get Mm -hmm. involved and so forth in a way that uh, I really haven't experienced in the 28 years that I've been teaching. And I think it's terrific. And uh, the job, again, of my party here, obviously, is to um, bring these kids in, motivate them. I don't think we have to motivate them very much. I mean, they're highly motivated and Mm -hmm. uh, involve them actively in this 50-state, 200,000-precinct effort. There's no reason under the sun why these students can't be running a precinct and organizing a precinct, uh, there's no reason why they can't be deeply and actively involved in the primary or the candidate of their choice and then subsequently immediately in the final. Um, and I want to tell you, they're terrific. We're producing wonderful young people in this country and I'm teaching them every day and, um, have never been more impressed with uh, their interest, their energy, uh, their commitment. Um, but it's important that at least on the Democratic side, and they're mostly Democrats, not all, but most of them, um, we make sure they get deeply and actively involved uh, in this for their own sake as well as for the sake of the country. Because mm-hmm. uh, as you as you see this interest, I mean, we're talking to young people who I hope will get into politics long-term, run for office, uh, and it's the most open political system in the world, believe me. I mean, I'm, li- I'm a living example of that. And, um, and really mm-hmm. go to work and, and, and transform this country and, uh, in a crazy kind of way. It's, it's Trump that seems to have produced this. Not intentionally, obviously, but, um, but mm-hmm. it's, it's really, uh, it's really impressive to see.
0: And that was an interview with Mr. Mike Dukakis, former governor of Massachusetts and Democratic nominee for the 1988 U.S. presidential election. You have been listening to The Henna Hundle Show. I'm your host, Hannah Hundle, and I thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.